If you've got your Bibles with you, if you open to the book of Daniel, it's um, after Ezekiel, which is slightly bigger, so it might help you find it. And we're going to read through chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and laid siege to it. The Lord handed King Jehoiakim of Judah over to him, along with some of the vessels from the house of God. Nebuchadnezzar carried them to the land of Babylon, to the house of his God, and put the vessels in the treasury of his God. The king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and from the nobility, young men without any physical defect, good-looking, suitable for instruction, in all wisdom, knowledgeable, perceptive and capable of serving in the king's palace. He was to teach them in the Chaldean language and literature. The king assigned them daily provisions from the royal food and the wine that he drank. They were to be trained for three years and at the end of that time they were to attend the king. Among them from the Judahites were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. The chief eunuch gave them names. He gave the name Belteshazzar, to Daniel, Shadrach to Hananiah, Meshach to Mishael, and Abednego to Azariah. Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank, so he asked permission from the chief eunuch not to defile himself. God granted Daniel kindness and compassion from the chief eunuch. Yet he said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and drink. What if he sees your face as looking thinner than the other young men your age? You would endanger my life with the king. So Daniel said to the guard, whom the chief eunuch had assigned to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then examine our appearance and the appearance of the other young men who are eating the king's food and deal with your servants based on what you see. He agreed with them about this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, they looked better and healthier than all the young men who were eating the king's food. So the guard continued to remove their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. God gave these four young men knowledge and understanding in every kind of literature and wisdom. Daniel also understood visions and dreams of every kind. At the end of the time that the king had said to present them, the chief eunuch presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king interviewed them, and among all of them, no one was found equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they began to attend the king. In every matter of wisdom and understanding that the king consulted them about, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and mediums in his entire kingdom. Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. So today we're starting our series uh, in the book of Daniel. Well, we're not starting. Technically, Elizabeth did the first one. You might remember a couple of weeks ago we looked at uh, Jeremiah, the prophet. And interestingly, the books of Jeremiah and Daniel were on one scroll together, as I think it was Paul mentioned last week. And so they're, they're, they're very tightly linked together. So... Today we're going to spend some time setting the scene so that we can understand the context of the book as we look at um, the book of Daniel over the next few weeks. And then we'll also look at this little 
short story in chapter one as well. But first, let's just take a moment, close your eyes. I want you to imagine your childhood home, living with your parents just and, and growing up and just entering your first few years of adulthood. If you haven't got there yet, you just imagine. You've spent all your life learning how to function as a member of your society. Countless unspoken rules and social conventions have become embedded in you without you even noticing. You know your town like the back of your hand. You know where to get a watch battery replaced or where to find gluten-free donuts. You spend holidays with your extended family. You read stories to your nieces and nephews. You stay up late playing games and watching movies with your friends. And then you begin to plan to move out of home and get your own place, but that day never comes. A large, powerful country has decided that uh, your hometown needs to be under their control. They sweep in with a brute force army larger than any the world has ever seen, and there's absolutely no hope. Half your extended family are killed, most of the men you've ever known are killed in a war. And then as you, a survivor of the war, are being herded out of the town that you grew up in, you realise that you may never see it ever again. The language you're hearing is a foreign one. The clothing and manners of the foreigners are completely incomprehensible. The smell of their food when they cook dinner turns your stomach instead of bringing up those nice memories that you have of your own mother's cooking. And you can open your eyes. This is what Daniel experienced and his friends. The ominous powers of Egypt, Assyria and Babylon were a constant whisper of gossip in Israel, in Jerusalem. Assyria had already wiped out the northern part of Israel at this point and Egypt had captured and deposed the king of Jerusalem and put a puppet king in place. That's Jehoiakim that we read about in the first few verses. And Jehoiakim did not follow God. He followed in the footsteps of most of his forefathers. He's said to have committed some absolutely atrocious sins. And after seeing Babylon defeat Egypt at the Battle of Carchemish, he quickly groveled to the Babylonians and pledged allegiance to them to avoid the destruction of Jerusalem. And then after a few years, there was another battle and Egypt won and the Babylonians lost. So Jehoiakim, he quickly groveled to Egypt and changed his allegiance back to there. And this time, the king, Nabuchodonosor, or we say Nebuchadnezzar, or in the old Bibles, Nebuchadnezzar, um, he was the king of the Babylonians. He didn't hesitate this time to just wipe out Jerusalem. He, he uh, laid siege to it, and just after a couple of months, um, he, he got in there, and King Jehoiakim was killed and thrown against the city wall which was the um, uh, a prophecy actually about him that Jeremiah um, said in Jeremiah 22 verse 19. Therefore, this is what the Lord says about Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah. They will not mourn for him. Alas, my brother. Alas, my sister. They will not mourn for him. Alas, my master. Alas, his splendor. He will have the burial of a donkey dragged away and thrown outside the gate of Jerusalem. And in 2 Kings 24, verses 15 and 16, it says, Nebuchadnezzar took Jehoiakim, this is the king who replaced him, 
captive to Babylon. He also took from Jerusalem to Babylon the king's mother, his wives, his officials, and the prominent people of the land. The king of Babylon also deported to Babylon the entire force of 7,000 fighting men, that's not many left, strong and fit for war, and 1,000 skilled workers and artisans. So temple artifacts, lots of valuables, and all the army, skilled workers and educated people taken off to Babylon, leaving only the poorest and weakest in Jerusalem. Jehoiakim's replacement also taken away and another puppet king put in place. And so Daniel and the others were taken away and it must have seemed simultaneously relieving and distressing. Can you imagine being a survivor? Have you heard of survivor's guilt? It would be a horrendous thing to be the one who gets taken off to a prosperous city when all your all these other people that you know have been killed. Um, they were being exiled to a city almost 1,500 kilometres away. And for an army, that only takes a month or so to travel. But with weary walkers, it probably took three or four months. So they arrive after three or four months of only memories, horrible memories, uh, to a city with walls almost bigger than anyone at that time could possibly imagine. Babylon was about 10 square kilometres. So there it is overlaid on Hobart. I, not the shape, just 10 square kilometres. So quite a, quite a big city, especially for the time. The population of the world, only about 100 million, 200 million people. So it's a big city. Walking through the city, they pass hundreds, hundreds of pagan temples. Babylon had almost 1,000 temples to so many different gods, a, a very stark contrast to the well-known words of, uh, well, well-known to Daniel and, and to many of us as well, the Hebrew Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 7. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. I think it's on the next slide. No? Oh, did I miss it? I better read it out. And then it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Let's read verses 3 to 7 again. So they're in the city now. And the king orders his chief eunuch to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family. So this is Daniel and his friends, young men without any physical defect, good-looking, suitable for instruction in all wisdom knowledgeable, perceptive, capable of serving in the king's palace. I find it kind of interesting Daniel's describing himself. <laughs> he was to teach them the Chaldean language and literature. The king assigned them daily provisions from the royal food and wine he drank. They were to be trained for three years and at the end of that time they were to attend the king. And among them, from the Judahites, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. The chief eunuch gave them new names. And so more than likely through a translator, because they have to learn this new language, the city officials admit Daniel and these three other guys on the journey with him to a cultural indoctrination program, a re-education camp. They exist in our world today. Um, they're, they're horrible places. And they get given new names as well. Um, most of these guys' Hebrew names have some reference to God, the L on the end of Daniel and um, 
Mishael refers to God, and uh, Ah at the end of Azariah and um, uh, what's his name, Hananiah, also refers to the Yah on the end of Yahweh, uh, in Yahweh. And so their names that refer to their God are being replaced with Babylonian names. Belteshazzar means may the God, may Bel, one of the gods of the Babylonians, protect his life. And Abednego means um, son of Nebo or servant of Nebo, another Babylonian king. So they're, they're, they're being removed from their home, their family, their language, their culture, their names. And these guys don't really have anything left. They're exiles. And after a lifetime of extreme difficulty... And then, as we'll see in this book, miraculous protection by God and a bunch of crazy dreams that keep Daniel awake and stress him out, turn his stomach. Daniel writes this book. This is the situation we're in. The book of Daniel is written in two languages. It starts off the first chapters written in Hebrew. Um, Chapters 2 to 7 are written in Aramaic and the the visions, when he starts writing about the visions he has in chapters 8 to 12, um, it reverts back to Hebrew. And so we're able to see pretty clearly some distinct sections of the book. So we'll be following the Aramaic chapters in the next few weeks, um, list, uh, all those st- well-known stories from the book of Daniel. And, and then as we get to Daniel's dreams and visions, uh, I believe we'll be following a similar pattern to our Acts series where we'll have some extended um, readings of, of those chapters. So, let's have a look at this first little story that Daniel tells us. It starts with Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, now renamed to Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. They've been given food in this royal re-education system. They've realised that although they have Although they have access to the best of the, in the Babylonians' eyes, it's actually completely against their culture to eat this food that's been prepared by foreigners. And it doesn't actually specifically say the reason that Daniel's conscience is pricked here, but it's, it's fairly likely, very, very highly likely, that it's uh, something to do with their Hebrew food laws. And the fact that the Babylonians had so many temples you can be sure that any meat they would eat would have been sacrificed to one of those gods at some point before it was killed. But the whole point of the re-education camp was to squash this, right? This is to make them Babylonians, to uh, get the skills from other countries and, you know, turn them into agents for Babylon. They work for Nebuchadnezzar now, and if anyone else had asked the chief eunuch for permission to not eat the food that they were given, I'm sure the consequences would have been much more severe, but... Daniel, he says in verse 9, was treated with kindness and compassion by the chief eunuch. And it specifically says that that kindness was a gift from God to Daniel. Now, Daniel's probably had his moments of despair on his journey, and he's probably felt abandoned by God at times. Jeremiah had prophesied that all this would happen and that Jerusalem would fall. But on a personal level, it does seem like Daniel has stayed faithful to God. So here we see in the very first chapter of this book some evidence, which we're going to see go on, that God hasn't abandoned his people. God rewards Daniel and his friends' loyalty to him with a witness to the truth. 
they not only keep their consciences clear, but God uses their faithfulness to demonstrate his power in this foreign city where there were previously no people of God. This Babylonian eunuch gets to see the power of God, even in this small way. And at the end of the chapter, after, after the, uh, the guys have uh, been protected by God, they're looking great and healthy, They've finished their re-education camp and they're put before the king to be tested and God gave these four young men knowledge and understanding in every kind of literature and wisdom. Daniel also understood visions and dreams of every kind. At the end of time, the king, at the end of the time the king had said to present them, the chief eunuch presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king interviewed them and among all of them no one was found equal to Daniel. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So what does this all mean for us? These guys were given wisdom and discernment that far exceeded anyone else the king had available to him at the time. God is really looking after these guys. How can we think about the book of Daniel over the next few weeks as we look at these stories? How does it apply to us? Well, that video, I, I drew a lot of inspiration from that video. <laughs> the, this way of the exile is a really fascinating concept and it really got me thinking about the way that we interact with our own culture. The city of Babylon is a really common metaphor used from the first couple of pages of the Bible right up until the last couple of pages of the Bible. It's used as a symbol for the corrupt structures that humans put in place, as the video said, to rule the world in rebellion to God instead of harmony with God. Um, remember the Tower of Babel? That, that Babel is just the Hebrew word that is translated Babylon every 222 other times it's mentioned in the Old Testament. Um, for some reason we don't translate it there. Most people think it should be just translated Babylon. It's, it's the founding of this evil city right at the start of human history that becomes a representation and a physical oppressor of Israel and then into the book of Revelation it's brought up again this symbol of evil structures and here we are living as followers of God in a world that wishes his name would just disappear forever. Our government and our society are intoxicated by the lies that put themselves in the seat of power and to suggest that they will answer to God makes us hateful, makes God hateful, the God they don't believe in. Just like Daniel, we have to decide how we're going to live in this society. Do we stage a coup? Do we gather an army or political influence and take down the system from the inside? Perhaps we give in completely and assimilate, taking on the practices, the language, the culture and the godlessness of our society. Or will we take an example from Daniel and his friends and the, uh, the exiles in Babylon, seeking the peace of the city we live in, seeking its welfare, raising families, just like God told the Jews who were exiled to Babylon. Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 4 to 7. Should be the next slide, I think. Hey, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. 
plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And just like uh, we were seeing in the video, we have the example of Jesus, who lived in Roman-occupied Israel, and then his followers would travel all over the corrupt, evil Roman Empire. And yet this is how he tells, them, tells us to live. If a soldier asks you to carry his gear one mile, carry it a second mile. If someone takes your shirt, give him your cloak as well. Give Caesar his taxes. The coins belong to him after all. But he also critiqued the power-hungry, self-serving, God-replacing leaders of Jerusalem, and it made them very, very angry. And they eventually had him killed, and he gave himself up willingly, very much like the characters in the book of Daniel. We'll see time and time again, they submit to the consequences of speaking out for what is right. Jesus' disciples urged us to submit to the governing authorities. They tell us to live at peace with all men as far as it depends on us. They told us that God sets up every leader of every country on purpose. We have this strange mix of loyalty to the society we live in living peacefully, and an obligation to lay down our lives in protest when our society wants us to rebel against God. So I think there's two ideas we can take away this week as we start to look through the book of Daniel and in preparation for the rest of this series. First, are you living the way of the exile? Are you conscious of the fact that we live in Babylon? Does it affect the decisions that you make? Do you willingly submit to the governing authorities as people that God has placed over you at this point in time? Do you seek the welfare of our city? Do you pray for it? And when society asks you to rebel against your God, are you willing to speak the truth, hold out, and accept the consequences? And secondly, let's remember that no matter where we are, God is always with us. We do live in an evil society, Babylon. But that doesn't mean we have to be afraid or that our identity as children of God is lost. We're safe. In Romans 8, 38 to 39, the Apostle Paul says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And for Daniel, he would be able to add no distance from home, no dead friends and family, no cultural isolation, no new name can separate, no, no matter what anyone calls you, nothing can separate us from the love of God. For me, that gives me real peace. And it should give us real peace as we seek the peace of the city that we live in. I don't, we don't need to worry about overthrowing it and establishing order. That's God's job and he's got it well in hand.
Let's pray. Father God Almighty, we thank you that you've given us the book of Daniel uh, to see faithfulness, your faithfulness, and how we can be faithful in very difficult circumstances where we are caught between, um, between seeking uh, peace and, and loving our neighbours, but also standing up for what's right. I pray that you will guide us by your Holy Spirit, uh, teach us how we can live, how we can be more like Jesus uh, to, to speak the truth in love and, and to care about the people around us in our society who don't know you. I pray that in the coming weeks as we uh, study this book of Daniel that you will be showing us uh, specific ways that this church can be more effective in, um, in shining your light in this city of Hobart. And we also ask that um, you will you'll be shaping our, our hearts, our, our reactions to things so that we can be more like Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.